We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 584 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, May 31st, 2023. Final day of May. It is day two of the Commander's three-day set of OTA practices this week. A day on which practice is open to the media. Uh, Now, we do not know with certainty whether the team's three notable absentees for last week's first set of OTA practices this offseason, edge defenders Chase Young and Montez Sweat and left tackle Charles Leno Jr. are again absent this week. But the team's official website on Tuesday had a report on the day's OTA practice. No mention of Chase, Montez, or Charles. Uh, That seemingly would indicate that those guys still are not attending. What are, wait for it, voluntary practices? The drinking game is you take a shot every time someone in talking about OTAs mentions that attendance is voluntary, not mandatory. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Taking shots while listening to this show is recommended. Uh, This is the only Washington, D.C. area sports podcast or show for which there is a new episode each weekday, Monday through Friday, with each episode out oh so early each weekday morning. This is the show that wakes up with you. This is the show that follows Washington, D.C. area sports so that you don't have to. Let us do the work for you. Hey, the Capitals have a new head coach. His name is Spencer Carberry. Uh, Their head coaching search lasted for a month and a half, resulted in Spencer Carberry. Uh, I like the hire. I'll tell you why coming up. But next segment, I will address some Commander's news from Tuesday afternoon. The team announced four roster moves, including a move that adds clarity to what's going on with left guard Andrew Norwell and another move that was at least somewhat surprising. So I'll get into all of that. And then part two of my two-part conversation with Commander's analyst Mark Bullock, one of the best X's and O's guys out there in terms of talking commanders. Uh, We, in this part two, are going to talk about quarterback Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett, including the improvement that Mark is seeing in Sam's footwork and Mark's evaluation of where the aforementioned Chase Young is at as a player and Mark's outlook for the commander's secondary uh, with the team having taken corner Emmanuel Forbes with the number 16 overall pick in the 2023 NFL draft and having taken defensive back Quan Martin in the second round of the 2023 draft. Who will have what roles in the team secondary this coming season? Lots of good stuff with Mark Bullock on the Commanders next segment. Also on the show, I will talk Nationals. Uh, they late night on Tuesday night got ripped at the uh, National League leading Los Angeles Dodgers 9-3 despite another good game for Lane Thomas in what has been a terrific month of May for him. Uh, And Thomas on Tuesday night played center field for the first time this regular season. And I will talk Orioles. Uh, They on Tuesday night beat the Cleveland Guardians 8-5 at Oriole Park 
at Camden Yards. Uh, now, the O's did let a 7-0 fourth inning lead become an 8-5 seventh inning lead, but the O's did win uh, another big game for right fielder Anthony Santander in what has been an excellent month of May for him. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from James on the Nats having the number two overall pick in the upcoming 2023 MLB draft. Uh, Writes James, with the MLB draft coming up, can you do a deep dive in regards to taking college players versus high school players with Cruz looking more and more like the number one overall pick? I see Skeens locked in at number two. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, James. So Cruz would be LSU outfielder Dylan Cruz. Skeens would be LSU pitcher Paul Skeens. Uh, The 2023 MLB draft will begin on Sunday night, July 9th. Uh, The Nats have the number two overall pick in the 2023 draft. People are raving about both Cruz and Skeens, and so that the Nats are guaranteed to get one of those guys, uh, if in fact the Nats want one of those guys, is a beautiful thing. There are two general rules for the MLB draft. A, position players are safer than pitchers because of the incidence of injury for pitchers. Uh, B, college players are safer than high school players because college players are older and thus more established. And the competition that college players have faced can be assessed far more accurately than the competition that high school players have faced. Uh, The Pittsburgh Pirates have the number one overall pick in the 2023 draft. I would be very surprised if they did not take Dylan Cruz. And while there are other appealing position players in this draft, Florida outfielder Wyatt Langford comes to mind. Uh, This guy, Paul Skeens, appears to be special. Paul Skeens is being talked about as the best pitching prospect entering an MLB draft since the Nats' Steven Strasburg in the 2009 draft. Uh, Teddy Cahill is a national writer for Baseball America. He last Thursday, May 25th, tweeted that Skeens had hit 103 miles per hour on the scoreboard radar gun for a game. Uh, 103 miles per hour. Even if you doubt the veracity of a scoreboard radar gun for a college baseball game, 103 miles per hour. Uh, As the great play-by-play announcer, Kevin Harlan, one of my favorites, would say, Paul Skeens, he's a flamethrower. A (laughs) flamethrower! Yes, I love that. He's a flamethrower. Email from Dr. Sabah. Uh-oh. Subject of the email, quote, Sabah upset with you regarding Taylor Heineke. (laughs) End quote. Writes Dr. Sabah who, as you probably know, is the world's number one fan of our now former Commander's quarterback, Taylor Heineke. My dearest Al, I apologize for being off the grid recently because the whole Taylor Heineke defense thing has gotten me exhausted. (laughs) However, when I heard you blame Taylor for the loss to the Giants on Sunday Night Football in Week 15 from this past season, you lit a fire under me. You said that our man Tay-Tay did not play well in that game because of his two fumbles and wait for it, near late game interception. Again, near. You do recall that the Kayvon Thibodeau assault occurred when Thibodeau went untouched and nearly beheaded Taylor on her own two-yard line. And did you forget that Taylor did have a two-point conversion completed pass reversed by a receiver penalty, OPI? Did you forget that Taylor Heineke did drive our team to score a potential game-tying touchdown, only to have that touchdown reversed by another receiver penalty, this one on Terry McLaurin? Did you forget that Taylor threw another touchdown pass after this penalty erased a touchdown to Jahan Dotson, but that essentially was reversed by a defensive mugging of Dotson that was not called? So please stop blaming Taylor Heineke for the loss to the Giants. Taylor was a huge reason why we even had a chance in that game, and not only in that game, but the entire season, and had a chance to make the playoffs, bringing our team out of the 2-4 and four hole that Ron Rivera and Carson Wentz put us in. Have you become a tater? <laughs> As always, Al, love your podcast, and it's all in fun. Hope to hear your response Love, Sabah. Well, thank you for the email, Sabah. Great to hear from you. Wow, Sabah using my own word against me, asking if I've become a tater, a Taylor Heineke hater. Sabah, that's my gimmick, okay? That's gimmick infringement right there. 
Uh, so I, on last Friday's show, episode 581, uh, was responding to an email that referenced uh, this commander's hideous 2012 loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Sunday Night Football in week 15 of this past season. Uh, a brutal loss was part of the commanders going 0-3-1 from weeks 13 through 17. And the point that I was making was that the commander's defense was not why the team lost that game. The defense played well in that game. The offense did not. I mentioned what went down with our commander starting quarterback in that game, Taylor Heineke, what was, by the way, his final start for the commanders. But I did not get into the context of his performance because, you know, I didn't want to spend an hour and a half talking about this game. But I did not trash Tay-Tay, okay? Go back and listen to the audio. I didn't even say that Tay-Tay played poorly. All that I said regarding him was what was factually true. Taylor in that game had two lost fumbles on sack strips and nearly threw a game-clinching interception. There was a lot that went into all of that, no doubt. There was a lot that went into Taylor's 2022 season, no doubt. I mean, he played behind an offensive line that was woeful. That absolutely has to be factored into any evaluation of Taylor's 2022 season. And Taylor did have some big clutch moments last season, and he deserves a lot of credit for those. But You know, any objective, rational, sober, fact-based analysis of uh, Tay-Tay's 2022 season also has to mention that he, in so many of the truly telling quarterback statistics, did not fare well, okay? And you can't just blame all of that on the offensive line or on the offensive coordinator at the time, Scott Turner. Look, I wanted the commanders to re-sign Taylor Heineke this offseason prior to him signing with the Atlanta Falcons as an unrestricted free agent. Heck, I during last season advocated for the commanders to sign Taylor to a contract extension. As far as I know, I was the first person in the Washington, D.C. media to suggest this. I, on Halloween of last year, tweeted that the commanders should sign Taylor to a contract extension, and I stood up for Taylor a lot. Uh, Certainly a lot more than most people in the media did uh, during the 2020 and 2021 seasons. As far as I know, I was the first person in the D.C. media market uh, in that 2021 season to point out that Taylor was facing a very difficult schedule of opposing defenses. You know, Washington for the 2021 regular season faced the 10th hardest schedule of opposing defenses in the NFL per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. So, you know, I would not classify myself as like a champion of Taylor Heineke, but I'm not a tater, okay? Come on, Sabah. Uh, you know, I think what you have to do with Taylor Heineke is what you have to do with any other person in sports. You know, you don't pick a side and then like blindly stick to that side. You look at the facts, you look at the reality, and as time goes on, you base your opinions on that person, on those facts, and on that reality. And you don't have some extreme loyalty to one side or the other. Your loyalty is to the truth. That is the entity to which your loyalty should go. Uh, By the way, I do think that what happens with Taylor with the Falcons is going to be very interesting. Uh, We know that the Falcons are going with Desmond Ritter as their starting quarterback. We also know that Desmond Ritter is far from a sure thing. The Falcons head coach is uh, former Redskins defensive quality control coach Arthur Smith, a product of my high school, Georgetown Prep High School in Rockville, Maryland, and the son of former Skins minority owner Fred Smith. Uh, Arthur Smith has gone 7-10 and in each of his first two regular seasons as Falcons head coach. You would think that there's pressure on old Arthur uh, to win this coming season. So if Desmond Ritter struggles and the Falcons are not winning, I would not be surprised at all if Arthur turns to Taylor as the Falcons starting quarterback. And the commanders are at the Falcons in week six of this coming season, October 15th. Do not be surprised if Tay-Tay on that day is the Falcons starting quarterback. Well, we shall see what happens with Taylor Heineke with the Falcons. Uh, We certainly hope that whatever is happening with you is good, but if you have been harmed by the negligence of someone else, if someone who you know has been harmed by the negligence of someone else, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you and will fight for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Ace that Al Galdi sent you. 
By the way, a big congratulations to Chris Nace, who was recently named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year. Uh, this by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Paulson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices and false advertising, Heck, victims of shady lawyers. If your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. All right, before we get to our guest, Commander's Analyst Mark Bullock, for part two of a two-part extravaganza, uh, we on Tuesday afternoon did have some Commander's news. Uh, the team on Tuesday afternoon announced four roster moves. Uh, those moves are the placing of left guard Andrew Norwell on the reserve slash physically unable to perform list, uh, the releasing of corner Cameron Dantzler Sr., and the signings of two unrestricted free agents, tight end Brandon Dillon and safety Terrell Burgess. Uh, the biggest item is this Andrew Norwell news. Not surprising, but uh, certainly significant. So Norwell essentially is done with the commanders. They have put him on the reserve slash physically unable to perform list. Uh, he, according to commanders insider John Kime of ESPN, is dealing with a right elbow injury. Now, going on this list in and of itself does not mean that a player is done with a team, but also on Tuesday afternoon were multiple reports that the commanders will be releasing Norwell once he passes a physical. So his time with the team is over. Uh, not a shock, uh, as we have chronicled on this podcast. Commander's head coach Ron Rivera on three different occasions this offseason in discussing the team's left guard situation has promoted a competition between Zadik Charles and Chris Paul and not even mentioned Andrew Norwell and less asked about him. Uh, these three occasions have been Ron's session with reporters on March 28th in Phoenix, Arizona at the NFL's annual league meeting. Uh, Ron's joint post-NFL draft press conference with general manager Martin Mayhew on April 29th and Ron's pre-OTA practice press conference last Wednesday morning, May 24th. Uh, the commanders on March 17th, 2022 officially announced the signing of Andrew Norwell as an unrestricted free agent. He got a two-year contract. He, in the 2022 regular season, played and started in 16 of the commander's 17 games, but he was not good. Uh, he registered an overall grade for pro football focus of just 59.8 PFF grades were on a scale of 0 to 100, and he was part of the complete collapse of a Washington offensive line that had been good in each of the previous two seasons, but uh, was not so good last season. Uh, the Commanders last offseason signed Norwell and Trey Turner as unrestricted free agents to be the team's two new starting guards in place of Eric Flowers and Brandon Sheriff. Uh, Norwell replaced Flowers at left guard, Turner replaced Sheriff at right guard, and uh, neither Norwell nor Turner worked out. Uh, both Norwell and Turner last season uh, were Commanders. Uh, Norwell and Turner are former Carolina Panthers. Uh, Norwell came into the NFL with the Panthers as an undrafted free agent out of Ohio State in 2014. He played for the Panthers from 2014 through 2017. It was during that time, of course, that uh, Ron Rivera was the Panthers head coach. Uh, also current Commanders Executive Vice President of Football slash Player Personnel, Marty Herney. Uh, his second stint as Panthers General Manager was from July 2017 to December 2020. So Norwell and Herney uh, overlapped some as well. The releasing of corner Cam Dantzler Sr. on Tuesday afternoon was surprising. Uh, the Commanders on March 13th announced that they'd claimed Dantzler off waivers from the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, not that a waiver claim is seen 
as some key piece moving forward. But Camp Dantzler was an intriguing player. The Vikings took Dantzler in the third round of the 2020 NFL Draft at a Mississippi State. Uh, Dantzler over his three regular seasons with the Vikings, 2020 through 2022, started 26 games. Uh, now, he did not work out for the Vikings. Uh, Dantzler in the 2022 regular season played on 43.5% of the defensive snaps for a Vikings team that was woeful defensively, uh, especially against the pass. The Vikings for the 2022 regular season finished number 26 in the NFL in pass defense for Football Outsiders DVOA metric, and the Vikings on March 10th waived Dantzler. But he, to me, had been an intriguing player for the Commanders. I mean, talented guy, like I said, 2020 third-round pick. He is tall. Uh, he's listed as being 6'2", and it's not like he hasn't had any success in the NFL. Uh, Dantzler, over his first two NFL regular seasons, 2020 and 2021, allowed a passer rating into his coverage of just 82.5 per pro football focus. But this safety who the commander signed on Tuesday, Terrell Burgess, is similar to Cam Dantzler and that Burgess was taken by the Los Angeles Rams in the third round of the 2020 draft. Uh, Burgess was taken out of Utah, uh, but he... Uh, like Dantzler with the Vikings, did not work out for the Rams. Uh, played mostly on special teams for the Rams. The Rams, uh, on November 8th of last year, waived Burgess. Uh, the Giants, two days later, signed Burgess to their practice squad. Burgess played in one game for the Giants in the 2022 regular season. Uh, this coming season, it would be Burgess's age 25 season. And then this tight end who the commander signed on Tuesday, Brandon Dillon. Uh, he's an XFL guy. Uh, Dillon played for the XFL's Vegas Vipers uh, in the league's 2023 season. He came into the NFL with the Vikings in April 2019 as an undrafted free agent out of Marion University, an NAIA school in Indiana. Uh, he has spent time with the Vikings, New York Jets, and New Orleans Saints. This coming season would be Dillon's age 26 season, and the Commanders now have a bit of a need at tight end with what Rod Rivera revealed in that pre-OTA practice press conference last Wednesday morning, May 24th, that tight end Armani Rogers had suffered a non-contact Achilles injury uh, the previous day, Tuesday, May 23rd, what was the team's first day of OTA practices this offseason. All right, time now for part two of our two-part conversation with Commander's analyst Mark Bullock. Uh, he also is a Commander's fan, and he does excellent Commander's film breakdowns. You can read Mark's work on his Substack Bullock's Film Room, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. You can follow Mark on Twitter at NFL. Uh, we on Tuesday show, episode 583, had part one of our conversation. Uh, we in that part one did a deep dive on the commander's revamped offensive line and discussed what we should anticipate from running back Antonio Gibson this coming season, given that uh, Eric Bieniemy now is the team's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. A lot to get to in this part two, including our team's quarterback situation. Uh, Mark, you this past Saturday morning tweeted the following regarding Sam Howell off footage of him at uh, last Wednesday's Commander's OTA practice. Quote, obviously, this is just practice and there's not pass rush, but the difference between Howell's footwork now and even preseason last year is night and day, end quote. Head coach Ron Rivera has talked about Sam's footwork as having needed work. Uh, what jumped out to you in terms of the Sam Howell footwork? Yeah, so... When we saw, I didn't get to see him in practice. Obviously, if you haven't heard from the accent, I'm, I'm English, so I'm not out there watching the practices. Um, but when we saw him in preseason last year, the footwork was kind of a bit all over the place, and, and he still played really well in the preseason. But there's a reason why some fans maybe wanted him to start, and, and the coaching staff was like, he's not ready, um, and that was because of the footwork and. The footwork for a quarterback is essential. Being able to tie up your feet to your reads is key because you need to be able to know that you need to be working on in rhythm with not only where the routes are going so that you're facing your first read at the time that they're going to break and then you're able to hitch to your second read at the time they're going to break. You also need to have that in your head that, okay, I'm, I'm working from my first read to my second read. Okay, I'm starting to run out of time. The pocket's closing and I need to be able to get out of the pocket. So Sam Howell's footwork was all over the place where he was dropping back and taking, in my view, there were plays where he should have been taking like a five-step drop and then a hitch and then getting the ball out. And he was taking 
a three-step drop and then two hitches up in the pocket and and it just didn't look like it worked at all um and he still you know still was able to deliver some nice throws but it just meant in in live games in in real nfl situations rather than just preseason against backups that would get him into trouble more often than it wouldn't now towards the end of the season obviously we saw him against the cowboys and he was a lot better in that regard and that was one of the points i made after that game was he was his footwork was a lot better tied to his eyes and his reads than it was in preseason and that was a huge significant jump um so what we saw from that video i think it was sean kime showed that video and we've seen it from some other beat reporters as well where they've showed clips of him his feet are a lot smoother they're a lot more lined up with what he's reading and you see uh kind of it's not jumpy it's not um kind of inconsistent where his feet are landing it's very consistent smooth drop back nice comfortable hitch that's not being rushed or anything like that it's just comfortable and it's allowing him to get the ball out on time um and obviously as i said in that tweet it's just practice and then there's no pass rush and and all of that caveat but it's still a lot better than it was in preseason last year Good to hear that. Uh, you and March on your Substack did a breakdown of Jacoby Brissett off the commander signing him as an unrestricted free agent. These OTA practices, in theory, are marking the start of the quarterback competition of uh, Sam Howell versus Jacoby Brissett that uh, Ron Rivera has touted of having studied both Sam and Jacoby. If, in fact, the competition is legit, who do you expect to win the competition? Yeah, uh, well, I think I would debate whether it is a good faith competition. <laughs> I, I, I think it's pretty much Sam Howell's to lose. But if it is that good faith competition, uh, I think if Sam Howell's footwork um, is has improved the way we think it has, and obviously you have to see it live, and, and against the Cowboys it had improved, and if it continues to do so, um, that was the main concern for me, whether whether he would be ready last year was with his footwork and, and matching up his, his reads to, to his feet. If he's able to do that consistently and even when he's under pressure, then that that is a big improvement and that's a big concern that's not on the table anymore. Um, so for me, you would obviously go with the younger guy and give him the chance. We know what Jacoby Brissett is, and Brissett is nobody's uh, ideal situation as a starting quarterback. He's, he's a guy that you sign that you know if uh, your starting gets, starter gets injured, he can come in and, and win you some games and, and keep you in some games and, and He's he's a, an efficient player. He's a decent player, um, and he will have. He's already had a long career, and he will continue to have a long career in the NFL and be successful as as that backup guy. But he's he's never the guy that you want to be your starter. Um, so I still think Sam Howell should be able to beat him out as long as that that footwork improvement is is to the level we think it is. Um, so yeah, I, I think Howell will beat him out. And as I say, I I, I don't think it's a good faith competition anyway. I'm I'm pretty sure. They're going into this wanting how to win. It's interesting to me with this quarterback competition between Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett because, yeah, it doesn't seem right to just hand Sam the starting quarterback job given that he has played in just one NFL regular season game. But I do think that there's merit to the idea of just going all in on Sam in order to find out what the team truly has in him, like make him the QB1. Design an offense tailored to his skill set. Give him all of the first team practice reps this offseason and in training camp and see what happens. Uh, which approach to you is the better approach? The competition approach or the going all in approach? Yeah, I personally, I would lean towards that going all in with, with Sam. I, 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 if, if you have a legit competition and a certain positions, they might look at left guards. So it's going to be a legit competition between Chris Paul and, and, and City uh, Charles, and that's fine. If it's a legit competition, absolutely let it play out, and whoever plays the best takes the job. But I don't think this is going to be a legit competition, and I think at quarterbacks, especially with a young guy like Howell, I, I think you see in a lot of modern sports, and I could go on a tangent about the England cricket team, but for for the sake of you guys, I I won't. <laughs> there there is there is this more and more common. Uh, showing belief in your players and giving them backing is in kind of the Ted Lasso way of things uh, where you show belief and support in your player and you say, we're backing you the whole way. Don't worry about outside speculation. You're our guy. 
I think that kind of removes a lot um, a load of pressure and it it gives them the best chance to kind of play easy and play fast and and play free and that's that's the kind of philosophy I would subscribe to uh, certainly with Sam Howell and and try to remove that pressure of being like hey you need to win this job and you need to be our quarterback of the future I think that just adds unnecessary pressure so I would say hey you're our guy you're taking the reps we trust you all the way go go play free and go have fun and I think you would see better results for it <laughs> which fan base has suffered more commanders fans or english cricket team fans <laughs> Uh, well, uh, in in recent times, certainly the Commanders fans. In in, um, in, in terms of history, uh, you know, the Commanders have some Super Bowls. The English cricket team in the last few years have done okay. Uh, before that, there was probably a, a thirty or forty year drought where they did nothing. So um, <laughs> we struggled more. But recently, certainly Commanders fans have struggled more. Gotcha. We're talking with Commanders analyst Mark Bullock. Uh, you on Tuesday morning on your Substack came out with a piece on edge defender Chase Young, uh, an examination of how he played over his uh, three games last season and what to anticipate from him this coming season. Uh, of course, a lot of Chase Young talk in recent weeks with the Commanders not exercising the fifth-year option in his rookie contract and this issue of Chase in the OTA practices. But when it comes to his three games last season, what were the team's final three games of the 2022 regular season? What were Chase's first games since suffering the badly injured right knee in November 2021? What stood out to you? Yeah, so uh, I remember when, when he came back into the, the, the 49ers game, I, I watched through that game and, and there was some sensitiveness early on. And then he took, um, I think there was like a third and one or a fourth and one play where uh, they did it like a quarterback sneak and he took a bit of a hit to the knee. And I think that kind of invigorated him to be like, okay, uh, my knee can handle this and then I can play a little bit more free. And we saw that he had some nice, he didn't get any sacks, but he had some nice rushes, especially working against Trent Williams. He, he put Trent Williams on his back at one point and very few people know how to do that. So um, there was certainly the flash of the potential is still there. Um, and so I wanted to see, I watched back the other couple games that he played the last two games of the season, and I wanted to see whether that continued. And there was still some tentativeness, especially when there was a tight end lined near him. He was kind of cautious of a tight end, possibly chipping him. Um, and certainly in the run game, he was worried about like tight ends trying to cut him and, and get his knee. Um, and, and that's, I think that's understandable given the injury that he's had. Um, when he was allowed to just kind of rush and there was no tight end threat, um, he kind of reverted back to, I don't know if you remember, Ron Rivera before last year was talking about how he, he kind of stutters when he, when he does a rush. He, he has a, this stutter step where he tries to get tackles to start, stop and start their feet. And he usually, he backs himself to be able to start him, his own feet quicker than the tackle can. And a lot of the times he can, but because he does this stutter step move, he comes off the line with two or three steps and then he stutters and then he goes again the quarterbacks often got rid of the ball before Chase Young's been able to get past the tackle. And Rivera talked about him just wanting to be free and just go and pin his ears back and not do this stutter step move. And what I saw was he still quite often reverted to that stutter step move and quite often, more often than not, um, in fact, there was only really one instance where he actually got the tackle to kind of get off balance and he beat him and he was able to get some pressure. The rest of the time, whenever he did it, the tackles were able to kind of adjust to him and the quarterback was able to get rid of the ball before Young was able to do anything. More often when the few times when Chase Young didn't use a stutter and he just went after the tackle and he was like, okay, I'm just going to either go for speed off the edge or I'm going to convert to power and get my hands on the guy. Especially when he converted to power and got his hands on the guys, he drove them back quite considerably and he got pressure and you started to see that, oh yeah, this is the talent that was the second overall pick a few years ago. Why does he not do this more often? So I think there is, the talent is still there. The knee is obviously, at this point, I, I would guess it's more of a mental block for him. Um, you you want to see whether he can kind of get himself over the fear of, I'm going to get cut by a tight end on this run play, or I'm going to get piled up on and, and my knee's going to get hurt again. And that's that's kind of a mental block for anyone that has a knee injury. And, and hopefully he'll get over that, but you never know. Um, but in, in terms of just pure pass rushing, 
it, it's just a technique thing. You have to get him out of this, uh, his desire to stutter step. You have to make him just go, just rush and uh, engage with the guy. You're, you're better than him. You will knock him back. You will generate pressure. You will beat him as long as you don't just stop and give the quarterback a chance to get rid of the ball. So um, that was kind of the conclusion I was, I was coming away with was the talent's still there. The technique work needs some issue, some working on, and just stopping doing that stutter step. Um, and then it's just a, all about mentality, whether you can, you know, get over that that fear of the knee injury. Great detail right there. Love that. Uh, last one for you. The commanders at corner. Uh, the team, of course, took Emmanuel Forbes with the number 16 overall pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. Uh, the team's top two corners last season, of course, were Benjamin St. Juice and Kendall Fuller. We know that the team has at least five defensive backs on the field the majority of the time, but it also would seem that all three of these guys are best suited as outside corners. Is there an odd man out with those three? Uh, do you see one of them playing a good bit of nickel? Uh, the team, of course, took defensive back Quan Martin in the second round of the 2023 draft. He could be the team's primary nickel. There's a lot to be thinking about here. How do you think the secondary will shake out? Yeah, I, I think Forbes is going to be kind of subject to the same, uh, quote, competition that uh, Sam Howell's being subjected to, where it's, you know, he's got to earn that starting role, but he's going to earn that starting role unless he's horrendous. And it doesn't sound like he's been horrendous so far. It sounds like he, he will earn that pretty quickly. Um, and then it's, for me, it's a question. I St. Juice kind of, uh, they played St. Juice in the slot last year at, at the start of last year and he kind of struggled. Um, and then they moved him back outside and he looked a lot better the year before they, they tried when they signed Kendall Fuller, they thought he was going to play in the slot and he struggled and he looked a lot better on the outside. Um, and, and Forbes, you probably, with his size, you're probably not going to play him on the inside because the slot corner has to be able to fit the run a little bit more than the, the outside corner. And with his size, you don't necessarily want him in that kind of, uh, in the run fit in that way. So um, they're all kind of outside corners for me. So I think Quan Martin, their rookie, um, their second round pick, I think he's going to be the nickel back um, that can be that kind of hybrid safety, Buffalo nickel, nickel kind of thing. Um, and He'll play in the spot when it's a three-receiver set, and if if the teams shift to a um, a two tight end look, then Cam Crow will come down, and and probably the other safety Forrest might come down in the box, and 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 Quan Martin's just as capable of playing the deep safety role. So he'll then rotate back, and you'll have the two bigger bodies in the box to help play the two tight ends. So I think that's the kind of look that they'll go for. And then on the outside, it's a case of who plays opposite Forbes and. There's a case to be made for obviously St. Juice is the younger guy and the guy with the higher upside. And um, if you get him playing within that system well, like that that frame is is huge and and the the upside is huge for him. But for me, he doesn't at this point. Certainly, based on what we saw last year, he still has mistakes in terms of playing the zone stuff um, that they do and the match coverages that they do. Um, he, he's better than he was as a rookie. Um, and he, there's every chance that this year is the, what, his third year in the system and he kind of, he, it all clicks for him and, and he, he starts to take a big step forward. But at this moment in time, from what we've seen at the end of last season, Kendall Fuller is a much better fit for what they, they do schematically. Um, and certainly opposite Forbes, if you want to play a lot of zone and, and match stuff which is what they kind of live in at the moment is that that's the kind of guy that you'd want opposite Forbes, um, which would leave St. Just as the kind of the odd man out. But I don't necessarily think that's the worst thing in the world to have some corner depth because they didn't have that last year. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I, I think the way it will play out is Forbes outside with Fuller um, because that's the best fit for what they do schematically at this point in time. Obviously, the caveat is if St. Juice takes a step forward in training camp, then he could beat out Fuller. But I, I still think Fuller is a very good corner that's kind of underrated. Um, and then it'll be Quan Martin, I think, will be their, their nickel guy um, with whoever they have at safety. Interesting. I bet that that surprises a lot of people. Commander's analyst, Mark Bullock. Uh, you can read Mark's work on his Substack Bullock's Film Room, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. Uh, Mark, thanks a lot. All the best. Of course. Thank you. 
All right. Hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Mark Bullock. Uh, if you did and you have like 20 seconds, uh, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. Uh, you on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. can be just a sentence or two. can be longer, but doesn't have to be. Uh, but the ratings and the reviews help this podcast succeed. So thank you very much for doing the ratings and the reviews. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So it was on April 14th that the Capitals announced that the team and head coach Peter Laviolette had, quote, mutually agreed to part ways, end quote. Uh, it was not until Tuesday morning, May 30th, that the Caps announced Laviolette's replacement. Yeah, the Caps head coaching search ended up taking a month and a half, but the replacement is Spencer Carberry. Uh, the Caps on Tuesday morning named Spencer Carberry as the 20th head coach in franchise history. Uh, there will be an introductory press conference on Thursday morning at 11. Both Carberry and Caps Senior Vice President and General Manager Brian McClellan will be speaking at the presser. There are three things that stand out to me about this hiring of Spencer Carberry. Uh, first of all, he's young and he has never been an NHL head coach. Uh, Carberry is just 41 and the Caps hiring him as head coach marks the team going back to hiring a first-time NHL head coach. Remember, this was a criticism of our Caps owner, Monumental Sports and Entertainment founder and CEO Ted Leonsis. He for years hired nothing but first-time NHL head coaches. Uh, just looking at the Alex Ovechkin era, Glenn Hanlon, Bruce Boudreaux, Adam Oates, Todd Reardon, uh, now Spencer Carberry, all first-time NHL head coaches. Uh, Ted, in the Alex Ovechkin era, has only twice hired an experienced NHL head coach. Uh, Barry Trotz, who of course led the Caps to the 2018 Stanley Cup title, uh, and Peter Laviolette. So there certainly is some risk here in going with Spencer Carberry, but the hiring does make a lot of sense. Uh, Spencer Carberry has a significant history with the Caps organization, or organization, as is said in hockey. Uh, Carberry was the head coach of the Caps AHL affiliate, the Hershey Bears, from June 2018 to July 2021. He, over his three seasons as Bears head coach, coached a bunch of guys who have played for the Caps in recent seasons, including defenseman Alexander Alexiev and Martin Fehervari, and forwards Connor McMichael, Alexi Protus, Beck Malenstein, and Joe Snively. Uh, also, Carberry was the head coach and director of hockey operations for the South Carolina Stingrays uh, from July 2011 to June 2016. The Stingrays served as the Caps ECHL affiliate in Carberry's final two seasons with the team. Uh, what the Caps are trying to do is very tricky. Retool as opposed to rebuild. Uh, they're trying to get younger while also remaining competitive. 
Uh, that is a very delicate balancing act. Uh, and of course, this is happening as the greatest player in team history, winger Alex Ovechkin, is chasing the great one, Wayne Gretzky, uh, for his all-time NHL regular season goals record. But make no mistake, the Caps very much need to get younger. Uh, the Caps need to get faster. And the Caps need to do a better job of developing younger players. Well, Carberry knows these younger players. And the fact that the team has hired him as its head coach suggests that he has a good rapport with and has plans for these younger players. Uh, by the way, Spencer Carberry is one of just four head coaches ever to win Coach of the Year awards at both the AHL and ECHL levels. Uh, also, while Carberry has not been an NHL head coach, he has shown that he can coach at the NHL level. Uh, Carberry did well as an assistant coach with the Toronto Maple Leafs these last few seasons. Uh, he was an assistant coach for the Leafs from July 2021 uh, up until now. Uh, he, with the Leafs, was responsible for the team's power play and oversaw the team's forwards. Uh, the Leafs, over Carberry's two seasons running the team's power play, had a regular season power play efficiency of 26.6%. Uh, that ranked number two in the NHL during that span. Uh, Leafs forwards for the 2021-2022 regular season ranked number two in the NHL in goals and number three in the NHL in points. And Leafs forwards for the 2022-2023 regular season ranked number four in the NHL in goals and number four in the NHL in points. Now, it is worth noting that the Leafs during these two seasons have had some terrific forwards. Uh, Austin Matthews, William Nylander, Mitch Marner, John Tavares. Uh, but Spencer Carberry has shown himself capable of getting a lot out of these guys. Uh, the Caps this season did not make the Stanley Cup playoffs for the first time in nine seasons and for just the second time in 16 seasons. Uh, the Caps getting back to the postseason hinges on several factors, including the moves that Brian McClellan makes this offseason and also the team just enjoying some better injury luck. The Caps this season got ravaged by injury. But like I said, the Caps do need to get younger, uh, do need to get faster, and do need to do a better job of developing their younger players. And Spencer Carberry, as head coach, at least on paper, would seem to be able to help quite a bit with all of this. So for all of the talk about the Nationals being improved this season, and they are improved, uh, they do have the worst record in the National League. Uh, the team with which the Nats are in the midst of a three-game series, the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, they have the best record in the National League. And the differences between the two teams were on display late night on Tuesday night, a 9-3 Nats loss at the Dodgers in game two of a three-game series. And that's fell to a National League worst to 23-32. and 32. The Dodgers improved to a National League best 34-22. and 22. Uh, The Nats on Tuesday night got out-homered by the Dodgers 3-1. The Dodgers for this 2023 regular season are number two in the majors with 93 home runs. The Nats for this 2023 regular season are 29th out of 30 major league teams with a mere 39 home runs. Uh, that stood out, and uh, that was among several differences on display between the Nats and the Dodgers in this game on Tuesday night. This was a rough game for Nats pitching. Uh, Jake Irvin was the Nats starting pitcher. He allowed four runs in five innings. He gave up eight hits, a homer, a double, and six singles. He issued a walk. He recorded three strikeouts. He did throw a lot of strikes. That was good. Uh, 94 pitches, 61 strikes versus 33 balls. Uh, Irvin in the bottom of the second allowed a leadoff homer by Jason Hayward to right center field on a 1-2 pitch for a 1-0 Dodgers lead. And Irvin in the bottom of the third allowed three runs on a ground rule double, three singles, and an RBI sack fly. One of the singles was by the notorious Nats killer, Freddie Freeman, uh, on a ball that landed right in front of the Nats starting right fielder on Tuesday night, Joey Manessis. Uh, he was playing in right field for the first time in this regular season. Uh, Nats manager Davey Martinez for this game on Tuesday night went with a new look outfield of Manessis in right field, Lane Thomas in center field for what was his first game this regular season playing center field, and Ildemaro Vargas in left field. Uh, all of this was largely due to Victor Robles still being on the 10-day injured list, and Alex Call really struggling right now uh, as an Nats number one center fielder. In terms of his hitting, his defense actually has been pretty good, but uh, Call's hitting 
Uh, not so good. Uh, the Nats on May 3rd recalled Jake Irvin from AAA Rochester. Irvin in the Nats 5-1 win at the San Francisco Giants on May 8th in just his second career Major League regular season start was terrific and became just the second Nats starting pitcher to pitch into the seventh inning of a game in this regular season. He tossed six of the third scoreless innings with five strikeouts, but Irvin since that game, four starts, 16 and the third innings, 16 earned runs. Uh, and the Nats bullpen on Tuesday night was not good. Boy, the Nats bullpen has had some problems lately. Two Nats relievers on Tuesday night combined to allow five runs, two earned in three innings. Andres Machado allowed two runs in two innings. He tossed a perfect bottom of the sixth, but that allowed two runs in the bottom of the seventh, during which he gave up a two-out, two-run homer by J.D. Martinez on a bomb to center field for a 6-3 Dodgers lead. The homer winner projected 416 feet per stat cast. I actually thought it was interesting that David Martinez did not go to, say, Hunter Harvey uh, for that bottom of the seventh inning. Uh, yes, the Nats were trailing 4-3, but the game was close, and the game ended up not being close, and Davey going uh, to a B-team reliever, and Andres Machado, and then Mason Thompson, he in the bottom of the eighth allowed three runs, all of which were unearned uh, thanks to a throwing error by shortstop C.J. Abrams, but Thompson in this inning issued a leadoff hit by pitch and a run-scoring wild pitch, uh, committed a fielding error, and gave up a two-out solo home run by, yes, the notorious Nats killer, Freddie Freeman, uh, to left center field for a 9-3 Dodgers lead. This was another instance of runs being unearned in an inning in which the pitcher uh, very much earned those runs. Uh, Mason Thompson was not good in that inning. So this Nats bullpen, which for a while had been doing all right, uh, is not in a good place here. Uh, The Nats for this regular season now are 24th out of 30 major league teams in relief pitching ERA at 452. Uh, The Nats hitting on Tuesday night was bad, too, at least in terms of the results. The Nats actually hit a good number of balls hard in this game, but the results just were not there. Uh, The Nats for the game, just three runs, just six hits. The Nats did work three walks, uh, had two extra base hits. Cape Ruiz, he is the Nats starting catcher at number seven batter, one for three with a solo homer and a walk. Ruiz in the Nats, two runs seventh, a first pitch leadoff homer to left field to cut the Nats' deficit to 4-2. Lane Thomas, another good game for him. Uh, He has the Nats' starting center fielder and number one batter, two for four with a double, a single, and a walk to extend his on-base streak to 26 games and his hitting streak to 15 games. So also Thomas had an outfield assist to Thomas in the top of the first, a seven-pitch leadoff walk despite having been down in the count of 1.02. Thomas in the Nats, one-run third, a single to center field on an 0-2 pitch, and Thomas in that Nats, two-run seventh, a two-out first-pitch double to left field. Uh, Lane Thomas now for this month of May has the following slash line, batting average of 316, on-base percentage of 366, slugging percentage of 605. Here was Davey Martinez in his post-game session with reporters early Wednesday morning on what Lane Thomas is doing right now. Yeah, we saw we saw a lot of it last year. Um, you know, so this year I think he, I think he feels like he can do it. I mean, you know, it's all about confidence with him, right? And and he's going up there and he's getting pitches to hit, and he's putting them in play, he's hitting them hard. So um, he's done really well. And like I said before, his overall game has been really really good. We put him in center field today. He made some nice plays. Uh, first play of the game where he cut the ball off and kept Mookie to you know uh, at first base was awesome. Um, you know, when you don't when you don't play center field that much, and he could do something like that. Um, that says a lot about, you know, about his, his improvement out there. Yes, it does. Uh, Joey Manessis, he on Tuesday night as an ad starting right fielder and number four batter, one for four with an RBI single. Uh, Manessis in the Nats, one run third, a one out bases loaded RBI single to left field to tie the game at one. Game three at the Dodgers, Wednesday afternoon at 410. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. So the Orioles on Tuesday night in game two of a three-game series against the Cleveland Guardians at Oriole Park at Camden Yards held a 7-0 fourth-inning lead. This looked like a game that would be a blowout win for the O's. This looked like a game in which O's manager Brandon Hyde would be able to rest the top two relievers in the uh, Orioles' much-used bullpen, uh, Felix Batista and Yanir Cano. But instead, 
The O's allowed that 7-0 fourth inning lead to become an 8-5 seventh inning lead, and Hyde ended up using both Cano and Batista. Uh, The O's did win 8-5, just their second win in five games, but the O's were back, Joe Angel, in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column! That is correct, Joe. The win column. Uh, the O's now are 35 and 20. That is the third best record in both the American League and the Majors. Uh, more on Tuesday night's game in a bit, but the O's on Tuesday afternoon did play center fielder Cedric Mullins on the 10-day injured list with a right groin strain. Uh, Mullins suffered the injury in the 5-0 loss to the Guardians on Monday afternoon. He suffered the injury while grounding out for the second out in the bottom of the eighth. Uh, Losing Mullins is a big blow to the O's, no doubt. But the news on this injury could have been worse. Uh, This was Brandon Hyde during his pregame press conference on Tuesday afternoon. It's uh, what I was hoping for, honestly, (laughs) that, you know, you never know how bad those can be and it sounds like we're getting some positive news on it being weeks not months and uh, when you see a guy pull up like that your first instinct is oh you know not good but um, because he pulled up it seems like he helped himself he didn't get a hit out of it but <laughs> he sacrificed maybe a hit for for some weeks so um, you know he's, we're gonna do everything we can to get him back as soon as possible we'll see how it goes but uh, I think that the positive, the news was was positive, at least for how how bad it looked. Yeah, so there was a silver lining with this Cedric Mullins news on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, the O's on Tuesday afternoon, as the corresponding roster moved to putting Mullins on the 10-day injured list, signed free agent outfielder Aaron Hicks to a major league contract. Uh, Aaron Hicks, the discarded New York Yankee. Uh, This season is Hicks's age 33 season. Aaron Hicks in February 2019 signed a 70-year, $70 million contract extension with the New York Yankees, but uh, things did not go so well for him with the Yankees beginning with the 2021 season. And the Yankees this past Friday released Hicks off having designated him for assignment. It would be hilarious if the O's got production from Aaron Hicks while the Yankees are still paying him. I so hope that that is what happens here. Uh, The Orioles hitting in this 8-5 win over the Guardians on Tuesday night was really good. The O's scored more than three runs in a game for the first time in six games. Yeah, the Orioles offense had uh, not been great here recently, uh, but the O's on Tuesday night totaled eight runs, 11 hits, and three walks, went four for 13 with runners in scoring position. The 11 hits were comprised of a triple, four doubles, and six singles. A big game for Anthony Santander. He is the Orioles starting right fielder and number three batter, went three for four with a three-run triple and two doubles. A Santander in an Orioles five-run second had a one-out full count bases loaded three-run triple down the right field line for a 6-0 Orioles lead. Uh, what a month of May Santander is having. He now for this month of May has the following slash line. Batting average of 344 on base percentage of 432, slugging percentage of 625. It was Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Tuesday night on why Santander has been so much better in May as compared to in April. A little more in time with the fastball. This thing got trouble. Just, just scuffled a little bit early. Um, but for me, just on time with the fastball a little bit more and uh, a couple of beautiful swings tonight. Loved him when he goes into left center. And, and uh, so he had a great night offensively. Yes, he did. Uh, also having a good game on Tuesday night was Gunnar Henderson. Uh, he is the Orioles starting DH and number five batter went two for four with a two-run double and an RBI single. Uh, Henderson hit an Orioles two-run first, had a two-out two-run double to deep right field for a 2 nothing Orioles lead. And Adley Rutschman, he on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting catcher and number two batter went one for two with a single, a bases loaded walk, and another walk. So Rutschman got on base three times. He, for this 2023 regular season, is number nine among all qualified players in the majors at on-base percentage at 402. Uh, Kyle Gibson was the Orioles' starting pitcher on Tuesday night. He was so-so. Uh, Gibson allowed three runs in five and two-thirds innings. He allowed one run in five innings, but uh, then allowed two runs in the top of the six. Uh, Gibson, for the game, Gave up seven hits, three doubles, and four singles. He issued one walk. He recorded three strikeouts. He threw 95 pitches, 60 strikes versus 35 balls. And 
Then there was the Orioles bullpen on Tuesday night. Uh, four Orioles relievers combined to allow two runs in three into third innings. Brian Baker and Danny Coulomb were the guys who had problems. Uh, Baker faced three batters and got just one out. Uh, he, in the top of the six, did strike out Will Brennan with a runner on second, two outs, and the O's leading 8-3. But then Baker, and what ended up being a two-run guardian seventh, began the inning by issuing a walk and giving up a single. Uh, Danny Coulomb in that Guardians two-run seventh face four batters, got just two outs. He issued a one-out walk of Ahmed Rosario to load the bases and gave up a two-out bases-loaded two-run single by Josh Naylor to cut the Orioles' lead to 8-5. And so Brandon Hyde had to turn to Yanir Cano and Felix Batista in a game in which Hyde should have been able to avoid those guys. Uh, Cano tossed one in the third scoreless innings. Batista tossed a perfect top of the ninth for the save. Game three against the Guardians, Wednesday afternoon at 3.05. The Orioles starting pitcher was to be announced. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 585. We'll provide you with more on the Commanders as Wednesday was to be a day on which the team's OTA practice was open to the media. Also talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's on Wednesday afternoon at 410. Have game three of a three-game series at the Los Angeles Dodgers. The O's on Wednesday afternoon at 305 of game three of a three-game series against the Cleveland Guardians at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. The flamethrower! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.